Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown for your entertainment. I am your host, Gary, to tell you about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. And today, Goldie Ann, my beautiful wife and co-host, joins us. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hi, Gary. How are you today? Pretty good. You, you act like I just pop in only for the podcast. You do. Oh, look, she's here. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what I say. And other things that I say include that the books are scheduled for release. I am actually waiting on the proofs of the two books that will be coming out in one October. We have the Dad Jokes for the Paranormal Dads, a collection of puns, riddles, and dad jokes covering ghosts and Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and all of that. You're just, you're corrupting our listeners. Isn't that what most entertainment is for? Touche. Thank you. The second book, also due out the same day, is The Hidden Within the Mist, a collection of 30 retelling stories of encounters with Bigfoot, Mothman, and all manner of ghosts. So these are taken from eyewitness accounts in which I gave a dramatic retelling flair to them to spice them up a little bit and present them for your enjoyment. Be sure to check on our social media. I hope to have pre-sale options available very soon, but they will be live and available to order on 1 October. Awesome. I hope so. I can't wait to own my own joke book. Well, you already own your own joke husband. I know. Another thing that you can also work on, Goldie Ann, Uh is that the Paranormality Magazine, a monthly publishing of different articles about the paranormal and supernatural. I love that magazine. As do I. They are having a monthly voting for podcasts of the month. So I posted the link to the voting where you can have three votes. You can either vote for three different podcasts and hosts, or you can vote for the same podcast three times. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I won't say what I did. This is a chance for you to express the sh- for the shows that you enjoy, and we're kind of seeing if there's people out there who are willing to vote for us. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because, you know, I mean... I love the votes and all, but so many of my friends are also on it to vote for. It's like, ah, so conflicted. Well, that's why they give you three slots. True. So check out the show notes or social media for a link to that and cast your votes today. Now, before we begin, let's have a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. Now, Goldie Ann. I know I've been stalling, and it's been a whole week. Oh, God. But, Goldie Ann? Gary? How do cats oh, get over a fight? Um, this sounds like it should be easy. How do cats get over a fight? That's what I'm asking you. They, they meow out. What was that? They meow out. They bow out. They meow out. <laughs> okay. I have no idea how that works, but... Cats get over a fight when they hiss and make up. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Oh, come on. You know mine was much better than your answer. The silence is a yes? Sure. Thank you. Now, today's story involves livestock mutilations and attacks on people by an unknown creature prowling the farmlands of Indiana. These events may be upsetting to some of our listeners. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. And with that, today's sources include the case of the hog killer varmint, which was followed in the articles of the Palladium Item newspaper. So I read through all of these articles and combined them into today's story. Cool. Well, even cooler was that the events were organized and written about by David Weatherly's Monsters at the Crossroads book. Oh, you like him. He has a he has this great collection of a book for each state, or at least he's working on it. So it's great to pick a book. This Monsters at the Crossroad is pretty much all of Indiana's cryptids and so forth. A link to this incredible book will be included in the show notes, and I highly recommend you get it. It is a fantastic read. Cool. One of my friends is from Indiana. We have to make sure she listens to this podcast. Maybe she's seen the hog killer. Ooh. Yeah, she's into all that, so maybe have. Well, then you can tell her that on the summer of 1947, Fountain City, Indiana, was being plagued by an unusual creature. People were hearing strange and unearthly screaming that echoed through the night, causing the residents to be frightened. For the next 13 months, reports of sightings and alleged encounters with the mysterious creature would become commonplace. It was said that it was responsible for killing livestock, attacking cars, and even injuring a big game hunter. Wow. Additionally, the description and even the number of these creatures seemed to change each time someone encountered them. Join us today as we voyage within the mists of Indiana to track down the hog killer varmint. The varmint. Nasty varmint. I know. I do like the varmint actually caught my attention. That's why I continued reading about it and added it to the today's show. It's just a cool word. It is an amazing varmint. word. Varmint. It is an amazing word that doesn't get used enough anymore. I'm going to start calling you a varmint. Hey. What? You like it. Not after you hear this story. Oh, okay. Chapter one. No laughing matter. Officer Lewis Daniels cruised down Doddridge Chapel Road with the golden sunlight pouring in through the rolled down windows. His wife was humming beside him and their daughter was in the back seat, pointing out oddly shaped trees and singing nursery rhymes. The day had been hot and dry, but a light breeze felt like a blessing as they drove along in July of 1947. The highway stretched out ahead of them, the featureless landscape broken up in places by clusters of trees. As they neared Centerville, Indiana, he spotted something off to the side of the road. It was an animal, but the creature had an exaggerated head 
with small pointed ears, a long snout and glowing eyes that seemed to see right through the car. Its body was sleek and slim with long front legs and shorter back legs, which made its back slope downwards in a peculiar hunchback manner. Its fur was a darker mottled color with patches of white here and there. It had claws that were long and sharp, ready to slash at anything in its path. Whatever this animal was, it had a distinctly menacing look about it. Daniels would describe it later as the most ferocious, evil-looking thing he had ever seen. As the family car crept forward towards the creature, they were within ten feet when they were close enough to realize that this was not a natural animal of the Indiana woodlands. This monster did not belong here. The animal's eyes widened with surprise when it figured out that it had been seen, and it started to flee, paws thudding against the asphalt as it sprinted away from the family car, tearing through the thickets of sharp briars and tall blades of grass as if they were nothing. Everyone in the family watched in shock until the creature vanished into the trees, their hearts pounding faster than before. What had they encountered there on the open road? Officer Daniels needed answers. Later, the officer squinted at the various photographs of wild animals in a book. He ran his fingers over his closely cropped hair and his gaze lingered on one particular blurry image of a hyena. He leaned forward with excitement as he realized that this could be the animal they were looking at on the Indiana Highway. The hyena stood out in the photograph, its eyes shining with a wild spark. Its fur was dark and mottled with patches of the same white. It had long claws glinting in the light that looked razor sharp. Most importantly, its short back legs gave it the hunched back look, and its teeth were bared in a feral snarl. It looked exactly like a creature that could tear through anything in its path. But could such an exotic creature really be running the wild on the rural roads of Indiana? Hell yeah! Quote, Folks aren't dreaming. There really is some strange critter around Wayne County. I saw it, and so did my wife and our daughter, Daniels would later reply. The reports from the Daniels family encounter laid the groundwork for the events of the following year, when an unknown entity began prowling the farmlands and fields like nothing the locals had ever seen before. Chapter 2 the hog killer varmint makes headlines. Varmint! Are you going to do that every time? Maybe. Okay. As the summer of 1948 started, reports began to come in that the mysterious creature first sighted on the previous year had seemingly returned to central Indiana with a newfound ferocity and an appetite for pork. That's me. <laughs> Are you ferocious? Yeah. Uh, okay. The Richmond-based newspaper, the Palladium Item, released a story with the headline, Hog Killing Varmint Loose Again Around Fountain City, 
on July 28, 1948. The article told about how Farmer Dorton Moore had stepped out of his house at dawn and into the dewy grass, making his way towards the low timber fence that kept his hogs in. Everything was unnaturally silent that day. He entered the pen with a heavy heart, knowing that there was something wrong, and he stopped short as soon as he realized what it was. Squinting against the rising sun, the farmer stared at the gruesome scene before him. Seven of his hogs lay slaughtered on the ground. Oh, no. I did give a warning. Yeah. Worse, blood was pooling around their lifeless and mutilated bodies. The horrific scene before him was one of a violent massacre. As the hogs laid lifeless in the mud, their bodies shredded and disfigured. The reek of death hung oppressive in the air as the animals obviously had not died easily. There were claw marks and bloody gashes covering their hides with evidence of something powerful smashing them down to the ground, then crushing their snouts into its powerful jaws. They were bite marks visible on each carcass that broke through the skin and bone alike to consume the hearts and the livers. Sheriff Carl Sperling, Deputy Sheriff Ryland James, Conservation Officer Pat Meyer, and a police officer from Richmond assembled on the Moore Farm in the dead of night to investigate. The men spread blankets over the tin roof of an outbuilding in order to muffle their movements as they slowly laid down in the darkened shadows, keeping their eyes trained in every direction on the surroundings as they awaited whatever creature had been terrorizing the area to reappear. <laughs> that night sky was lit by a pretty full moon. Its silver light cascaded over the field and its surrounding. The stars twinkled in the distance and there was a cool breeze ruffling through the tall grass. Crickets, frogs, and an occasional owl called out in the quiet darkness. Sheriff Sperling and the rest had been watching the far borders of the farmland since nightfall, but there was no sight of the creature. As hours ticked by, they grew increasingly uncomfortable on the hard metal roof, and Sheriff Sperling finally decided to call off the stakeout at three in the morning. It would only be a couple of nights later before Harold Erskine's Moore's neighbor noticed an odd wailing sound coming from one of Moore's fields. The strange caterwauling was like nothing the farmer had heard before. A chilling, warbling piercing the night and echoing back across the fields. To him, it sounded like an animal in distress or perhaps a warning from an unknown animal. The volume of its call rose and fell with each reverberation, and its eerie melody was one of pure fear. As soon as he told more, the men sprung into action and dispersed to scour the vast expanse of grasslands. It only took a couple of minutes when they found another hog 
that had been killed with its snout barely recognizable as if it had been bitten through. Its heart was ripped out and eaten. Despite all investigations and efforts, no one could identify the creature responsible for the massacre. All of the farmers in the area were in a dire situation and decided to take action to put an end to this creature's reign of terror. They gathered together and brought in tracking dogs, patrolled fields, and crept along back roads at night with shotguns cocked and loaded in their pickup trucks. They peered into every cornfield for even a glimpse of the elusive beast. However, the hog killer varmint... I guess you're not going to do it every time. <laughs> I thought about it, but I don't want to annoy our listeners. <laughs> That's my job. Yes. However, the hog killer varmint continued to elude them as more sightings occurred around the town of Richmond. Chapter 3. The cat is out of the bag. It's a cat? Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Did you not hear me describe the hogs? Yeah, but I'm not made of pork. Well, I guess I kind of am. Uh, I'm kind of fat. I have no idea where you're going. So I'm going to continue with the story. Talk about the kitty cat. Yes. Continuing on with chapter 3, the entire community became overrun with encounters with the beast. It seemed that on July 30th, J.R. Williams and his wife heard a strange and unique sound coming from their nearby fields. Mrs. Williams even said it sounded like a cross between the call of a lion and a wild cat. That's weird. How would that sound? That's a good trick. Yeah. Two totally different sounds. I guess you'll have to just imagine it. Okay. Imagine that lady's crazy. But in order to investigate, Williams cradled his shotgun in both hands and moved silently through the thick underbrush, followed closely by his sleek black hound. The dog's nose quivered with anticipation as it followed the trail of the animal they pursued. The farmer had just enough time to catch a glimpse of a furry back, four long legs, and glowing eyes before his dog yelped and sprinted back in the direction of home. <laughs> you mean Sam? Yes, Sam, our dog, would definitely be this brave. Now taking one last look over his shoulder for the mysterious creature, Williams followed his pet dog as fast as he could move also unnerved by the brush with the beast. Two days later, game warden Clifford Fath's truck trundled closer to the county line, throwing up dust as it went. As he neared the county line, he spotted something large in the path. Startled, he slammed his foot on the brakes and swerved sharply off to the side, just missing the creature that stood in the middle of the road. Conservation officer Charles Cornelius was with Bath during the incident and would later describe the beast as an enormous feline-like animal weighing at least 350 pounds. Wow. Big kitty. The varmint dashed forth, claws scraping against the dirt, 
and his body quivering with anger. Its large frame slammed into the side of the vehicle as it tried to attack before scurrying off into the trees at the edge of the forest. He's a big old murder kitty. Well, luckily, claws didn't rip through the metal. Later, the two men organized a posse of officers which fanned out with their hunting dogs and followed the animal tracks into the woods. The hounds barked, growling and nipping at the fleeing creature until they had it cornered atop a tall pine tree. They weren't able to really see it, but shots rang through the air as officers fired their rifles, but were met only by a flash of fur as whatever this cat-like entity was leaped from branch to branch higher and higher until it disappeared amongst the trees. By August 6th, reports of the varmint began to circulate around Elkhorn Falls, Indiana. Here, four adults and two children were out fishing in the area, were then attacked by the same beast, but managed to escape unscathed. It seems the animal emerged from the stream, its fur slick and glistening in the sunlight. The four came into a sudden halt, eyes widening in the sphere as they caught sight of the cat-like creature. They sprinted towards the car, clinging to the remnants of hope that maybe, just maybe, they could outrun the ferocious beast. Panting heavily, they reached the car and scrambled inside, seconds before the creature lunged at them. It lurched forward and slammed into their bumper. And with a roar, it barreled through a nearby fence and thundered onto the sandy banks of the edge of the stream. Deputy Sheriff Jack Witherby was dispatched to investigate the incident, and he scoured the area for any signs of the mysterious creature. He thought the perpetrator was most likely a mountain lion or a cougar that had made its way to the area from Kentucky or Tennessee. However, he found tracks, and those tracks he spotted were unlike anything he had ever seen before. Even with these descriptions, the varmint would become even more confusing. Chapter 4. One becomes two. Uh-oh. Two murder kitties? It was now a late summer evening on August 8th when brothers Arthur and Howard Turner saw something strange on their farm. As they moved closer, the boys were astonished at what they saw. It was two large cat-like creatures. One was large and muscular with a wide head and shaggy fur. Its coat appeared to be a mix of brown and sand colors, just like a lion. Its eyes were sharp and alert, and its paws large and powerful. It had the noble bearing that could not be ignored. However, the second beast they claimed was sleek and slender, with a coat of glossy black fur. Its eyes were intense and piercing, muscles rippling beneath its fur as it moved. Its tail was very long and whip-like, with large paws and power. It had a regal air of authority that radiated from within. It was a black panther. 
Arthur raised his firearm and fired off a shot at the lion of the two. In response, the two beasts twisted around then vaulted over a barrier before heading out of sight. The varmint hunt now shifted to the Abington district after the two varmints had been spotted in the area. A lion and a panther. Working together. That's crazy. Did Isn't it, it though? Did it get loose from a zoo or a carnival? There are many theories, and unfortunately nothing has been proven if these were exotic pets that were released or if they escaped a zoo, although no zoo ever claimed them. The creature was spotted at around 9 in the morning. It was the same spot where the two other observers had witnessed the cats before. His cattle and horses in the barn refused to be herded out into the pastures. They seemed alarmed, like they could sense or smell that something was off in their environment and had no intentions of going out into the fields. It wouldn't be long until a group of 50 hunters roamed the countryside searching for these large cats, but failed in every attempt to catch them. It seemed that the unlikely pair of lion and black panther managed to stay ahead of the hunters, leaving tracks in an array of disturbed earth where they had likely spent the night, but nothing more. The search for the cats changed course after a Robert Martin and others saw a, quote, long black animal snooping around his farm near Middleborough. The felines kept on the move, so the posse had to continue in their efforts to catch up to them. And by the 10th of August, two teams had entered Wayne County to pursue the large cats. One group aimed to find the Black Panther that Robert Martin reported, while the other focused on Abington for the lion. Neither party was able to catch either of the big cats. It would seem that the cats could work independently or together. And once more, it was reported that the strange cats came together. This time, Barbara Ann Perkins, a teenager from the Perkins family, three miles south of Richmond, spotted the pair while riding her horse. She was escorting the cows from the barn to a pasture in the Cleacleek Valley when she caught sight of the two peculiar creatures in the distance transversing the landscape. She watched them in curiosity as they crossed the creek bottom and proceeded north leisurely, as if they didn't have a care in the world, halfway up the slope on the opposite side of the valley. She had seen images of lions and panthers in the past, so she compared them to that. The lion before her was quote, bigger than a big hog, and the panther was black and slinky. The great mystery, of course, was why is a lion and a black panther transversing through the countryside of Indiana together, and how do you stop them? Chapter 5, The Big Game Hunt. Oh, this won't even well. Well, the animals kept moving, and according to a report on the 17th of August, one had been seen near Connorsville. And on the 18th, another sighting was reported in Gosport. 
but their appetites were now increasing. As it was even said, they had killed a cow. William Sturwalt was shocked to discover one day that a 400-pound calf of his had been brutally killed and partially consumed. The beast had a long body, short ears that stood up, and a long tail. Its fur was sleek and shiny black color, and its eyes were bright and alert. Its body was lean and muscular, and its movements graceful, yet powerful. With sharp claws and powerful jaws, it ripped through the flesh of the young cow. As the reports of these big cats increased, so did the number of witnesses who saw them. Yet no one could end the slaughter of their livestock. Word of the dire situation spread quickly, and the International News Service reported that a special fund was being built in Connorsville to in order to combat these animals. The mission was to hire professional trackers who could find and exterminate the beast, putting an end to everyone's concern. This may have sounded like a great plan, but on the September 1st edition of the Palladium Item ran the headline, Varmint Eludes Armed Hunters Near Brooksville. So even the professional hunters were no match. Worse, one of the hired hunters was even attacked and wounded by one of the creatures. Wow. It seems Harry Ferguson had been walking through the woods, gun at the ready, when something surprised him. It leaped out at him from behind a tree, and he felt the creature's weight crash against his chest. Two razor-sharp claws digging into his arms as it tried to gain purchase on his body. One hind foot slipped into the pocket of his overalls, and with one powerful thrust ripped the fabric in an effort to reach whatever was inside. The hunter stumbled backwards, barely missing an old stump. The sounds of the other hunters scared off the great cat before it could cause any further harm to the man. He was lucky to be alive. Following the unsuccessful and expensive mission to hunt down the unknown varmints, stories of their sightings quickly started to die down. No one had been able to capture either creature, and the news outlets halted reporting on them since there was no more information to be found. The varmints simply vanished as suddenly as they had appeared. Um, either someone's been taking too many drugs, or they went and found a safe spot. <laughs> or maybe someone captured them, or killed them and didn't uh, want any publicity for it. Oh, well, I'm sure they would have wanted publicity for it. I mean, gosh. Well, it is weird that they just disappeared. Or maybe the person who they belonged to found them and didn't want anyone to know. That's a very good theory. <laughs> Before we end... This tale does have one last curious twist. Uh-oh. On September 15th, there was an interesting story published that was circulated about a Harry Roddenberg of Greensfork. He claimed that he and an Ed Raff were on his home's roof when they spotted a peculiar beast. According to the man, the animal resembled a wolf in size, 
but had brown and yellow markings. The body was shaped in a sloping pattern. These descriptions echoed back to the Officer Daniel's hyena from the previous year. However, further sightings of the hog killer varmint ceased and no large cats or hyenas or any other strange creatures was ever found or killed. The mystery remains unsolved with the hog killer varmint possibly still out there roaming the farmlands of Indiana with a thirst for the hearts of pigs. <laughs> now, before we go, I want to remind everyone that we are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about the hog killer varmint. What do you think it was? Was it a lion, a black panther, a hyena, none of the above, all of the above? You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and have an email, Podcast at gmail.com, for any of you who would like to share. We hope you enjoyed our story of the hog killer varmint, and we'll come again for another episode. Until then, look to the farmlands for a great cat, and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everyone. Hi guys. <laughs>